I'm excited this morning to launch our new series, Jesus Is. We have been praying and anticipating this for the last uh, three or four months as uh, we've been asking God to give us guidance and preparation for it and hoping and praying that this series will be a help and a blessing to you as uh, we journey together through this. Now this new series, Jesus Is, will take us in some of the defining moments of Jesus' life and ministry and looking at them and seeing what application it has towards our life even today. Now, it's not an exhaustive series. It certainly will just scratch the surface of who Jesus is and some of the things by which we can grab a hold of and apply. And so understanding that really, even on this first day of Jesus is, it could stop right there, uh, helping even the skeptic to realize that Jesus is alive, Jesus is real, and that we have our faith and trust in a real Savior. But we venture off into some of these parts of his ministry to learn, as we've been already told this morning, that we'll start with Jesus is your friend. And when we think of this thought about how many times we have said this statement, maybe you haven't said this statement, but at least you've heard somebody say it before, if God can help so-and-so, he can help anyone. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Now, I know that I've thought that before. So-and-so is a reference to a skilled sinner, somebody who just loves sinning, and they're very good at it. They become, in our mind, that so-and-so, that if, if God can change so-and-so, God can do anything. Well, many in here, we would fall into the trap of thinking that good people look down at bad people, and we do it with this feeling of patronizing pity or this self-righteous disgrace. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we begin to put God in this box as if to say, God can save so-and-so by defining sin and giving it a class or a rating system in our mind. You see, we try, we try to build this badness scale to judge small and medium sins, or if it gets really bad, we've got these medium to large sins, and then there are some people who are just super-sized sinners. And we put our rankings and our rating system, and we, we begin then to define these people. But nowhere in, the, nowhere in the Bible do we find God putting any type of rating system or defining sin in that way. He doesn't use our scale to define sin. To him, all sin is equally evil, and sinners are equally lovable. You see, that's what we see clearly in the story today of Luke chapter 19, is that some people would say, if God can save so-and-so, he could save anyone. And then we say these medium to large sin or Zacchaeus, supersized sinner. We come to verse number one in Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered, he passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, but for the crowd, because he was little of stature. And so he ran before, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and he came down and received him joyfully. 
And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. (laughs) The crowd was looking and seeing Jesus go, and they said, Jesus is interacting with a supersized sinner. Verse number 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so, mu- for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So this morning we dig right in. Jesus is your friend. Let's ask God to guide us through the text today. Father, I thank you for worship that has drawn our attention to you. It has brought us to a place of concentration and adoration. And so I thank you for that. And now, God, as we come to this part where we dig into your word, we don't want to become spectators that just sit back and want to be entertained, but we come as participators with open ears and open hearts, willing to be led and directed by the power of God and his word. And so we would ask you very specifically today that you would do that, that you would take us from where we are and you will draw us in such a way that, that we become better because of our meeting time today. Lord, I know that the Holy Spirit can do that work, and I have the privilege of just being the mouthpiece from you and from your message. So please, Lord, keep me from being a distraction and keep me from getting us off track, but help us to look clearly from your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the classic story of Zacchaeus. How many of you would say, I know Zacchaeus very well because I remember him when I was five years old on the flannel graph board. How many of you would say, that's me, Zacchaeus, been with me all my life. So we all remember the story, the wee little man, the guy who ran up the sycamore tree to see who he could see, and, and uh, we know the story. But for some of you, this Zacchaeus is a, a new story today. And, and I don't want us to quickly go by this important text just to sing a little kid song and hope that we find some great truth within it because today the realities of who Zacchaeus was helps us to see Jesus as your friend. There's so much here in this lesson about who he was and the story comes right after a very contrasting story of the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. If you remember the text in Luke 18, there's an emphatic statement about the difficulty of salvation to the rich in chapter 18, verse 24. And this incident that is unfolding now with Zacchaeus, it has to be seen as a striking manifestation of God's grace. Because in verse number 27 of chapter 18, it reminds us that the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So remember back at the statement, if God can save so-and-so, he can save anyone. What we see as the impossible, God sees as possible. He took the young rich ruler who was not willing to forsake all to follow after Christ. He was not willing to sell himself out and to claim ownership of his coming and falling short. And so Jesus made the very clear statement that it's difficult for a rich man to be saved just as the the thread to go through the eye, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the, the illustration here now takes this drastic turn where God is going to show us that with God all things are possible. Because now a rich 
young Zacchaeus is going to be this example of Jesus seeking out a sinner. Remember Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And so the culmination of the story of Zacchaeus is this, that Jesus simply states his mission here on earth, verse number 10, to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. Now Jesus said it this way to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so in this story, Jesus takes someone who we would call a high-level sinner and he and generates a new friendship. So let's look at this incredible story of grace. In verses 1 and 2, and then in verse number 7, we see that Jesus is a friend to the sinner. Jesus is a friend to the sinner. You see, Matthew eleven nineteen refers to Jesus as a friend to sinners. It really bothered the religious crowd. It really rattled their cage. They did not like the fact that Jesus would spend a lot of time with the outcasts of society. And all throughout his earthly ministry, we find him doing exactly that very thing. The same thing that he is doing with Zacchaeus. He is seeking out the sinner. He's befriending them and speaking with them and sharing hope with them. What a beautiful story. Grace unfolds right before your very eyes in the story where Jesus embraces the friendship of a sinner. And you see, Gary Burge said the, the complaint against him, Jesus, was that he spent time with people without preconditions. Now, sometimes we will spend time with others with preconditions. My end game is this. My end goal is to gain this. And Jesus spent time with, you've got to realize that not everybody that Jesus spent time with had their lives completely transformed. In chapter number 18, the rich young ruler spent time asking questions, was given time of conversation, was offered a, a, a gift of hope, but he walked away without that hope. There were people all throughout the earthly ministry of Christ who would watch the miracles and hear the teachings and watch things unfold right before their eyes, yet they would still reject the New Testament tells us about the followers, the so-called disciples of Jesus, not the twelve, but the, the followers who would watch him day in and day out, and they would take in what was what happening. But the day that they found out to be a true follower of Jesus was to deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow after him. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that many went their way from that time forward. So the preconditions Jesus did not have now, he sought after Zacchaeus. He knew what was there ready. He knew the transformation that would take place. Zacchaeus is really unknown to us apart from this story. And so there's not much information we have other than what is told us about being a chief tax collector. This title is not found anywhere else in the scriptures. So the exact significance of what that chief tax collector would have been we're uncertain of, although we can assume that he would have been a head over a local taxation group and organization. He was a very powerful individual. He was very rich because of his wrongdoings and because of his crooked ways. So in the crowd of people there in his town, they knew him as top-notch skilled sinner. They knew him as a rascal. They knew him as being corrupt because when Jesus chose to meet with him, 
they began to murmur in verse number 7. The word murmured refers to this low rumbling all throughout the crowd with this complaining spirit. It would have been that they saw Jesus invite Zacchaeus to go to his house, and when they go, the crowd begins to rumble with complaints of, what in the world, why this guy, and what is Jesus thinking, what is going to take place? This is a very strong word. It is only used one other time in the New Testament in the Greek. It is in Luke 15, 2, then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners for to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eats with them. It's a very strong word. It, is, it goes much further than just us laughing off some kind of murmur and complaint. It is a very purposeful dagger shot at the character of Jesus. It is the murmur and complaining that begins to try to take the who Jesus is and twist it to being something that he was not. And so this murmur was very devastating, although it did not affect Jesus and his plan. When the crowd of followers became this disgruntled, they were upset at the very act of love that Jesus demonstrated. Have you ever seen that in somebody else's life? That the very act of, of love being demonstrated can get a lot of uh, complaints and murmurs thrown at it. Because people assume the motive of the individual, or they'll assume the end game of the individual, or they'll try to assume everything about that individual of why would they extend this graciousness? Why would they extend this love? Why would Jesus spend time with sinners? But Jesus was a friend to sinners. God has always sought for the sinner. You remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they took of the fruit, they sinned, they hid themselves. Jesus, or God, sought after them and said, where are you? On the road to Damascus, a man by the name of Saul was confronted by a light from heaven. And later in the passage, the Lord would say this, he, Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me. All throughout history, God continued to seek the lost and today continues to do the very same thing. Luke 14, chapter, or chapter 14, verse 4 through 32, gives us the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. There would be no grace and no hope. There would be no assurance, no forgiveness, no salvation. He did not seek for the sinner. What part, we ask ourselves, will we play as God continues to seek for sinners? Will we sit by idly and let it all unravel and happen? Or will we allow ourselves to be the instrument of grace that God wants to use to share the love of Jesus? To be that instrument in peace that God wants to use to help people's lives be transformed by the power of the gospel? Will we be plugged in to God seeking out the sinner and befriending them? In verses 3 through 6, we see that Jesus is a friend to the curious. He sought to see Jesus, who he was, verse number three, and could not for the press, the crowd, the massive group of people, because he was little of stature. He was a short man. And so he ran ahead before, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. I love about this is that the curious, the intrigued, sometimes it's the, it's the skeptic that has the questions that's looking and longing to know. That's Nicodemus, or that's Zacchaeus here. He says in verse number three, to see Jesus who he was. 
we find here that he wanted to know what sort of man, what sort of person this Jesus was. It was curiosity that was his only sole motive to see Jesus. He had no end game. He had no reason of wanting to meet Jesus. He just wanted to see what manner of man this was. Who is this man? We don't even know how Zacchaeus would have learned about who this Jesus is. We don't know that maybe it came from a fellow tax collector named Levi, Matthew, now a follower and disciple of Christ. If word got out through the tax collecting community about how Matthew's life had been so drastically changed and transformed, had word gotten down to Zacchaeus about who Jesus was? We don't know. But do, what we do know is that he was curious and he pressed forward. He ran ahead to climb a tree to find out who this man would be. He had great determination. He may have been short in stature, but he was probably full of life. He was probably the guy that could bark, bark out orders pretty quickly. He was probably very intimidating, though short in stature. He probably had a boisterous voice. He probably had great power and strength behind him. And so he had to find out who this Jesus is. And so what happened next is probably going to come to great surprise to Zacchaeus. Because in verse number 5, when Jesus came to the place that Zacchaeus was, standing, sitting in the sycamore tree, it says he stopped, he looked up, and he saw him. Now here, he looked up and made eye contact. You know what that feels like. When you make eye contact on accident with somebody, you know, Zacchaeus is just up in a tree. He thinks that Jesus is just going to pass him by. He's just going to kind of watch it unfold. He sees people reacting, and, and he sees people up ahead who are worshiping and calling out his name. He's checking it all out, and as he sees Jesus, he's kind of digesting everything, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops and makes eye contact with him. Have you ever done that at a restaurant? You're kind of watching somebody at a table, and you're thinking, I wonder what they got to eat, and all of a sudden, they look up, and they look at you in the eyes, and you're just like, oh, well, there's... My shrimp, just eating my shrimp, you know. <laughs> it's awkward. Yeah. Maybe it's only happened to me. I don't know. But the, the awkwardness of the accidental eye contact, that's where Zacchaeus is. Jesus stopped. He looked up. Zacchaeus then begins to wonder what is going on because it's not as if Jesus gives him the, hey, what's up, nod. It's not as if he just gives him a smile like, wow, you went to pretty cool extremes just to see me today. No, Jesus stops, looks at him, and says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Whew. Zacchaeus has got to be thinking. He has just looked into the most compassionate eyes he has ever laid his eyes on. I mean, Zacchaeus is used to pe people avoiding him. There comes Zacchaeus. How much is he going to take, take of us this year? There's that rascal. Don't get into a conversation with him. Don't tell him anything that he does not need to know. People avoided Zacchaeus. And now at this very moment, he is laying his eyes into the eyes of the most compassionate person that he'll ever meet. Zacchaeus had to be thinking, does this guy even know me? I mean, he's telling me to come down and to, he's going to come to my house does he know who would be at my house? Does he know who would be sitting around the dinner table? My crowd's not his crowd. He wants to come to my house. Does he know what's sitting in my cupboard? Does he know what's on my living room table? Does he know the friends that I will have over? 
Zacchaeus is thinking, does he know what I've done and how I've made my millions? Does he know this? He must, but he doesn't reject me. He is still my friend. And when you look at verse number five, Jesus did not say, Zacchaeus, I would like to come to your house today. No, he says what? I must come to your house today. This is a very strong expression And Jesus saw his visit to Zacchaeus as part of his divine mission. His divine mission that day that he must go to Zacchaeus' house. So he descended from the tree quickly. He received Jesus joyfully. You know, the reality is, is when God draws sinners to himself, they can't help but come in a hurry. They don't care what's going on. Do you remember that? You remember as a sinner when you came to Jesus You were curious, and now it began to become real to you. And you came in a hurry, and you weren't distracted by the outside elements. Jack, you remember that? You were at a tie top table at PDQ. Just finished chicken fingers. Jeff Carney's sharing the gospel. Jack comes to that place where he wants to receive Jesus at that very moment. Teresa, you remember that a couple of weeks ago? Morris Gleiser's preaching the message. The gospel is clear. The invitation time comes. And no hesitation. It didn't matter what other people thought. It was that I came to that place of realization that Jesus is my friend and he wants to be my savior. What does your story look like? But the question also becomes, who's passing us by every day? Who God wants to use us to help build their story. Somebody who's eager to hear the love of Jesus. Somebody who's carrying so much guilt that they wonder, does this individual know me? Do they know my life? Do they know my baggage? Do they even really want to care? Jesus was never sidetracked with the sinner's lifestyle. Jesus was never distracted by the past and the history of an individual. That brings me great assurance about who Peter Grant is. Because Jesus says, I'm a friend to sinners. I'm a friend to the curious. And then Jesus is also a friend to the transformed. In verses 8 through 10, we see the the, the finalization of this interaction. And it's certainly amazing to see what happens with Zacchaeus and Jesus. From verse 7 to verse number 8, we find here that there's a lot of key information that's missing wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great to hear how this unfolded at the, at the table of Zacchaeus? Wouldn't it be neat to know some of the very first words that Jesus said when he, when he got into the house of Zacchaeus? Wouldn't it be, be neat to know the people surrounding the table with Jesus and Zacchaeus? Now, in junior church 25, 30 years ago, I always learned that it was Jesus and Zacchaeus sitting in this house and having a one-on-one conversation and something amazing happened and Zacchaeus was saved and his life happened. But I also wonder in the same way that Jesus is going to use this opportunity to rub shoulders with the friends and family of a Zacchaeus. And so around the table probably would have been some of family members of Zacchaeus or some of his friends. He would have had very few, but he had to have had some. You who are rich and famous know that it's easy to get friends any moment you need, right? And Zacchaeus would have been the same way. I mean, here's a rich young man. Here's a man that's making millions. 
I don't care how he's making it. I want to be his friend. I want to enjoy the, the pleasures of life that he's enjoying. But it doesn't matter the story. What matters is the conclusion to it. Because Jesus is a friend to the transformed, and though Luke does not record the presentation of the gospel message by Jesus, and he does not present the account of the moment of salvation that Zacchaeus had, he does record the evidence of transformation. He records the, the clear proof of something has happened to Zacchaeus, and he shows the change that happened in the areas of open sin. In verse number 8, he says, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. So we see here, the revelation of the transformation is that he stood, he acknowledged Jesus as Lord. He said, Behold, Lord. Romans 10 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth and with the tongue man con or with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So here, all of a sudden, this Jesus, this traveler, this wonder in verse number three who he was, he is now able to stand and say, Behold, Lord. And then he expressed his self-denial. He says, half of my goods I give to the poor. Here's self-denial, Luke 9. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So we find clear evidence. He says, behold, Lord, the self-denial, half of my goods I give to the poor. He declares his intent to make restitution of the wrongdoings that he had done to others. He says, I restore unto them fourfold. Wow. The genuineness of salvation is seen in this complete transformation of his behavior. If you walk away from the text with any doubt that God has changed this man, you're not reading clearly the transformation that took place. We, though, don't have a lot of history of him, but we know that he's a supersized sinner because the crowd looked and wanted no part of Jesus to be with him. We know that he was a rascal because he has stolen from those he's willing to give back fourfold. We know that there's something wrong with this man. He's corrupt. He's wicked. But now for him to stand and look at Jesus in the eyes and call him straight out, Lord, that means you're my master. I'm your servant. Something different has happened. He also says, now I will deny myself and my pleasures because I'm going to get half of my goods I will give back to the poor. He says, then those I'm going to now have restoration or restitution from my wrongdoings. And I will go face to face to those who I have wronged personally and I will give back to them fourfold. This certainly is a life that has been changed. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation or a creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So Jesus confirms the salvation of Zacchaeus when he says in return in verse number 9, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as ye also are the son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's almost as if at the end of this time together, Jesus says, mission accomplished. What I have been sent to do today, I must come to your house. 
And what I've been sent to do to seek and to save the lost, it has been accomplished with your salvation. Now, was his salvation confirmed because he was giving to the poor? No. Was his salvation confirmed because he was restoring wrong by fourfold? No. That is not why he was saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So it is grace plus faith plus nothing else. It's not plus your good works. It's not grace plus faith plus your clean past. It's not grace plus faith plus good morals or a good attitude or some promise you want to bank in on. It is that faith that says, I believe in the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, Jesus Christ, died for us. And so the gospel says that Jesus died for our sins. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb because he gave up the ghost. His life was gone. And then three days later, just as it had been said and promised, he came back to life. As he came back to life with victory over the grave, victory over death, victory over sin, victory over the devil, the world thought they had conquered this teacher, Jesus. The crowd thought they had finally defeated them. Satan thought he had won, but Jesus came back victorious over the grave. Jesus is alive. And then we see that he ministered here on earth, and after that, for 40 days, he ascended to heaven to prepare a place for those who put their trust in him while sitting at the right hand of the Father. So it's not of ourselves, and too many think the reality for them. Too many people think if I run faster, if I run ahead of the crowd, if I climb up the tree high enough, if I do enough that I can gain the attention of God and he looks on me with approval, then I will have gained what I need for eternal life. And the reality is, is that's not what saved Zacchaeus. It was God's mercy it was God's grace. It was God's initiative. Do you remember at the beginning of the worship service, we sang this hymn, Our Great Savior. And I appreciate Pastor Scott and his selection of worship this morning as he's very purposeful every week in praying and asking God for direction on the songs that we will corporately sing together to draw our attention of the day. And our great Savior starts this, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul, friends may fail me, foes assail me, he, my Savior, makes me whole. Amen. Jesus, what a strength in weakness, let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, he, my strength, my victory wins. The honest truth about this crowd today is I'm looking into the eyes and faces of many who are true believers in God, and followers of their Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we look at a story of Zacchaeus, you're like, yep, been there, done that. Friend of sinners, realized that 20 years ago. Friend of the curious, I'm thankful he was. A friend of the transformed, yeah, I've been transformed. And we can easily let the sermon, the, the message, the time together pass by quickly as just Zacchaeus, when I was five years old, the wee little man climbed the tree. 
But today the application comes for all of us to realize that we are the life of the transformed. That says what a friend we have in Jesus. The friend that never fails me. The friend that never forsakes me. The friend that sticks closer than a brother. The friend who has claimed and told me that I just need to cast my cares on him because he cares for me. Yeah, I've got earthly friends, and when I bear my heart to them, they gladly take it, and they will carry it with me for a while, but it overwhelms them. But my heavenly friend in Jesus is one that takes all my cares, and instead of walking beside me, he carries me every step of the way. Jesus, what a help in sorrow, while the billows o'er me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, he my comfort helps my soul. Jesus, what a guide and keeper. While the tempest still is high, storms about me, night overtakes me. He, my pilot, hears my cry. Jesus, I do now receive him. More than all in him I find. He hath granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. Many of you in here would give the account that says, Jesus is my friend. But you may be the one who is looking and longing, the curious, the intrigued, maybe the skeptic. God will draw men to himself. Jesus promised that he has come to seek and to save the lost. How will your life unfold? How will your story be told? Will you walk out of these doors today, checking off yet another worship experience, another time that you've been in church? Or will you allow God the freedom and liberty to work in your heart, to shape you, to mold you, and to guide you into what he has for you? Remember, Jesus is your friend. Father, will you use these closing moments of invitation to draw us to a realization of who you are to us? If there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ in a very personal way, May they come to that place that Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus had a lot of baggage. He, uh, he was a scoundrel, supersized sinner, very skilled at what he did. He robbed people of their money. He lived off of dishonesty. He lived for himself and the pleasures of the world. But that day, Jesus made eye contact with him. There was this curiosity that led to a picture of grace. So Lord, if there's somebody here today that's that curious individual, help them to take that step of faith. Help them to realize the wonderful and beautiful truth that Jesus is their friend. That Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus is a friend to the curious. And Jesus is a friend to the transformed. To the individual here today that maybe is banking on the fact that Jesus is their friend through the tempest, through the heartaches, through the hard times. But Lord, maybe today they've come to a place where they have to remember to be that friend to others, to be a friend to sinners, to be a friend to the curious, to be a friend to the transformed, to be that true picture of following the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving people. Lord, would you work in our hearts as you would see fit today to mold us and shape us, to change us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.